Hello, and welcome to Here Are the Nominees, a podcast all about former Oscar nominees. Uh, I am Brent, joined as usual by David. David, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, I missed podcasting. Yeah, I did too. So yeah, I guess that's the uh, the elephant in our tiny room, is uh, our, our absence. We've, we've been away for a couple of months, and uh, it, it's not because we got negligent. It's, it's for good reason. Uh, You've you've upgraded. I have, yeah. And uh, decided to uh, that the real estate market is really stable and easy and not stressful right now. <laughs> so, is is a uh, is a good opportunity to sell our house and and uh, buy a new house. So we did that, and it took a long time <laughs> to get our house ready, sell it, and uh, get this new house ready enough to accept a podcast. Yeah, but now you have like basically a nice podcasting studio. I do. Yeah, uh, should be good uh, for consistency and and being on time going forward. No crazy life events I'm planning. You know, no um, unless uh, Allison's going to surprise me. No surprise births that will happen before the next one. <laughs> that would be a real surprise. <laughs> or else we're or else we're going to get real lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I don't expect another two months to to pass. Uh, apologies for the delay, loyal loyal Hatton listeners. I don't know what we're gonna call our listeners. Our Hatton? listener, he, they could be Hearies. <laughs> no, like, that that instantly disturbed me saying it. Yeah, I'm so really, how, I, I'm terrible at coming up with stuff like that. How have you been? Uh, I've been good. Yeah. So uh, the the twins are sleep trained for now. So. Uh, so now that you know my evenings are a little more reliable, they're a little more predictable. But uh, that's not why we're here. We're here for some wuxia swordplay. In uh, probably the greatest example of wuxia. Am I pronouncing that right? Wuxia. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Two um, thousands. Crouching Tiger. Hidden Dragon. By director <clears throat> Angley. The movie title that launched a thousand jokes. Yes. At the time. Um, if you're a very literal moviegoer, <laughs> back in our uh, discussions of uh, John Dawes at the end, um, you would be very disappointed with this movie. Yeah, nary a tiger or a dragon. Right. And uh, in a metaphorical sense, they're there, but that's about that's about <laughs> it. Uh, okay, so this was a ten-time nominee, um, and yeah, going back to discussing our, our little layoff that we had. I watched this uh, very promptly after assigning it. And then everything kind of, we, we hit pause on everything. And by the time we hit unpause, it was no longer streaming on Amazon Prime for me to go back and rewatch. So I'm going to be a little rusty on, on this movie, at least relative to how normally uh, I go. Because normally I've watched the movie in like the last 48 hours before we record. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to be... Slip a few things in that did not happen and just see <laughs> if we can <laughs> slide them in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, then she fights the, you know, the cyborg, which was a real weird choice, but uh, I think it worked. The giant, um, another giant spider battle. It's really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and this movie also had Kevin Klein in an unexpected cameo. <laughs> no, um, 
So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to be leaning on David a little bit on this one for uh, for for the details because I have um, forgotten him, and, and mostly it's a, I don't remember what maybe which part of the movie uh, something that I remembered or liked was in, uh, and I may have to to have you jog my memory on that front. But uh, let's start off with what did uh, what what prior experience with Crouching Tiger did you have? Um, I saw it in the theaters mm-hmm. in 2000, or maybe it was 2001, um, and uh, it uh, it was a box office phenomenon. I think by that time, it's like everyone's got to see it, and mm-hmm. it's the it's the movie with the flying flying people in it, and uh, it's a pretty good martial arts movie, or it was a pretty good uh, you know historical epic, and then the people start flying in it, and then I remember in the theater. Like kind of just taking the pulse of like, am I gonna go with this or am I, or is this where I get off this train? It's and it's weird. It's weird at first. Like it is a it, if you're not used to that and who I mean, <clears throat> two guys growing up in Georgia in the mm-hmm. mid '90s, late '90s are not going to be used to that probably. So, um, yeah, it, it is it is a jarring visual that uh, it takes a second. <clears throat> Yeah, um, in the theater, I, I you kind of just the best the best thing you can do is just kind of give yourself into it and just kind of feel it rather than understand it. To use some uh, tenant logic um, <laughs> about what's going on with the fights yeah. and the and the, the plot a lot. <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. Um, I really loved it when I was a kid. I don't. It's one of the things where I've always like loved, but I don't think I've rewatched it until this might only be my second time watching it watching it for this podcast um i don't own it but uh it's like one of those things where i love it i bought it i'm i have not watched it again <laughs> until we're talking about it right now and uh yeah i think this was only my my second watch i uh <clears throat> I, I wish i'd gone to see this in the theater only because I, I feel like my willingness to go along with the movie is uh much higher once i'm inside a theater mm-hmm. and i've already bought a ticket for it and um, I, I think I would have been much more open and probably paid better attention to the movie uh, had I gone to the theater to see it. Instead, I think I rented it from Blockbuster with like a date uh, in 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. And uh, we, we tried to watch it. And uh, there's like, a, hey, let's pause it. Let's go get something to drink or something. And, and there's a lot of chit chat and uh, not paying great attention and so I did not remember much about this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the only time I had seen it until uh, two months ago. And uh, so this, this was kind it, it was not exactly a first watch, but it was very, it was in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's one, it's a movie I consider great and five star. And I put a letterbox, like a, re- like a retrospective five star rating in letterboxed even though it's been the full 15 or however many years since the year 2000, <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> I yeah. know exactly how long, but, uh, and it's one that I have, like <clears throat> I give a list of the best of the two thousands. I have it in my top five, but I wow. still only seen it like once. Wow. That's impressive, uh, that it can leave an impact like that. Um, but not, not surprising. Um, so uh, I guess this I guess that uh, makes this next question a little or uh, easy to answer. Is this uh, what were your thoughts on Crouching Tiger? Um, S- still a masterpiece. 
I think it's still pretty amazing. Um, I was... Uh, I forgot a lot about the kind of the MacGuffin of the who has the sword part. Yeah. It's the large part of the plot. Who has it and like what's going on with it and can we get it back and then taking revenge for a master that we never see as the audience or really know much about. We're kind of just told about. Um, but uh, again, um, I just kind of, you kind of just go along with it. And I still think uh, it's it's kind of a timeless classic in that it's a historical epic and it doesn't rely too much on, it's not very heavy handed in terms of themes or like uh, anything that's relevant to, to current days or current, you know, it has nothing, no, no Bush v. Gore stuff in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> nothing thankfully nothing no hanging chads and crouching tiger hidden dragon um so the i mean the visuals are beautiful breathtaking the the mountain sides the just the expansiveness of it all and the the poetry of the the wushu fights and the motion and Ang Lee's amazing direction. I think still everything about it still holds up uh, really well for me. Uh, how about uh, how about you? I loved it. Uh, I thought it was great. And um, even though I'm probably gonna be fuzzy on a lot of the details, that's because I don't think I loved it for the plot and details as much. I, I have no issue with them whatsoever. They're they're fine. They're mechanics to get us from one beautiful. Uh, scene to another but um yeah it's just it, it is like um it, it is like poetry on screen at times and it's it's just absolutely beautiful um it's the type of movie where i think i could go instead of even rewatching it routinely i think i could just go on youtube and find particular scenes and i think i would enjoy just watching the scenes uh, in their entirety, without any context around them. Several of the fight scenes, uh, which mm-hmm. is... No, I mean, I guess I could do that for a lot of movies, but I think this movie, it would be rewarding more than uh, uh, your typical movie. Yeah. The the fight scenes especially, not to go too much into it right off the bat, it's uh, <clears throat> it's kind of... It's pre-Born, which is like pre, pre-Jason Bourne-style action, where... To be visceral, you got to be like right in people's faces and that close combat stuff that the Bourne movies do, that the Batman movies do, the Nolan Batmans, all those things. And it's just, uh, it's really stark to see the fight scenes from far away. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're shot far away and kind of mid distance, and there is stuff that's that's up close, but that's not the main focus of it. Main focus is just kind of show the the kind of the ballet of the action that's going on and that was really um something that was really impressive having seen action movies and fight scenes for 20 years after this movie how how impressive it still is how all the action is staged and the action is you know i don't always think of actions and fights as beautiful but they're they're more dances than they are like visceral slugs and and jabs yeah, and it has kind of been become cliche to describe these like choreographed fights as as dances, but they really are. Uh, and only because I don't want to, 
accidentally make reference to a point that he made uh, without giving him credit, but uh, very popular YouTuber Patrick Willems uh, did a video on Crouching Tiger, and I, I did watch it, and he made great points, and he, he actually compared Crouching Tiger to a musical. He said it's very similar to a musical in that uh, you have emotional buildup that gets unleashed in these fight scenes in the same way that a musical would have emotional buildup that gets uh, cathartically released in song. And he said the um, these big you know fight set pieces are very similar to in in the way they function with the the narrative and the, the structure of the story. They function very similarly to the musical pieces in a in a musical. And I could not agree more. It feels very much like that, where you're kind of you kind of you're looking forward the same way when you're watching a musical. You're looking forward to the next song whenever it happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this, you're looking forward to the next, uh, you know, flying wuxia. Yeah, especially with a director like Ang Lee, who I think if he has one signature, it's like it's it's like restraint and repression in a lot of his movies. (laughs) It makes it even more explosive when, you know, people's people can't hide emotions behind what their bodies are doing. Um, that's a, that's a really, uh, I didn't think of it that way, but that's a real insightful point. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, West Side Story, you know, the dialogues, you know, people acting tough, but then their emotions are laid bare when they sing. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, actually, no, it's my least favorite example of Ang Lee and repression is, uh, uh repressing the appearance of the Hulk for like an <laughs> hour and 20 minutes into the, into the movie Hulk. Uh, it is one of two movies I have fallen asleep in the theater uh, for. Mm. I went to see it on opening night at like a midnight showing. Uh, and Ang Lee's Hulk is like two hours and 50 minutes or something stupid like that. And mm-hmm. I, I was snoring in the theater probably uh, during that movie. The other movie think- was uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which uh, my <laughs> wife wanted to go see on like a Sunday morning at like a, it was like a 10 a.m. showing or something. And uh, yeah, I, I, I dozed off in that one as well. <laughs> I, I also have two, uh, I think only two I can remember. The second time I watched Return of the King in the theater, I think the fourth or fifth ending by that time, I, I kind of fell asleep uh-huh. for a second. And then uh, weirdly enough, the Born Supremacy. The, oh. I think I, whatever the second Born movie is, I think it's Supremacy. Um, I was just, I was very hungover and tired. And when things got so herky jerky with the camera, I just closed my eyes cause it was hurting my brain <laughs> and then I fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually for me, it's not a function of like, this movie is bad. This movie is boring. It's more of a, I should not have gone to a movie at this time, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm here and this is comfortable. Uh, I had a little trouble during phantom thread when I, when I went to see that too, for similar reasons. I, it mm-hmm. was a, it was a morning show. I had gone out the night before, and it was uh, not not a boring movie at all. But it was a quiet movie, and mm-hmm. it was a real comfy chair I was in. So, <laughs> um, so I came I came real close. Uh, but anyway, you know you have to talk about movies you've fallen asleep in <laughs> while talking about a movie that neither of us fell asleep during. Yeah, so that's relevant. Um, okay, so. Uh, Let's talk plot. We'll go through the plot on uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I will do my best with uh, the, the pronunciations here. In 19th century, King 
Dynasty China. Li Mu Bai is a Wudang swordsman, and Yu Shu Lin heads a private security company. Shu Lin and Mu Bai have long had feelings for each other, but because Shu Lin had been engaged to Mu Bai's close friend, Ming Zizao, before his death, uh, Shu Lin and Mu Bai feel bound by loyalty to Ming Zizao and have not revealed their feelings for each other. Mu Bai, choosing to retire, asks Shu Lin to give his fabled sword, Green Destiny, to their benefactor, Serte, in Peking. Long ago, Mu Bai's teacher was killed by Jade Fox, a woman who sought to learn Wudang skills. While at Serte's place, Shu Lin makes the acquaintance of Yu Zhilong, or Jin, who is the daughter of rich and powerful Governor Yu and is about to get married. So there's a whole lot of backstory and plot just kind of thrown at us out of the gate. Um, but basically, we're, we're told that Mu Bai is sort of a legend. Like he is... He is a legendary swordsman. Um, and uh, Mubai is played by... Um, Chow Yun-Fat. Chow Yun-Fat. I'm sorry. I, I, was, I scrolled down instead of scrolling up. And on down on... This is the last thing on our show notes. So that leads straight into The Quiet Man. And I'm looking. I'm like, <laughs> He's played by Victor McLaughlin? That's not right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, Chow Yun-Fat. And... Uh, uh, Shu Lin is, of course, Michelle Yeoh. Um, and uh, we also have uh, Jin, um, uh, Jin Yu, played by Zhang Zi. And uh, those are going to be the three most key characters, I think, in this, uh, in this movie. Um, your three leads are introduced fairly early. So... Uh, how, how how do you feel about this this the start with the with the the MacGuffin of the Green Destiny? Yeah, um, it it drops you in the middle of uh, um, historical epic classic uh, dynasty China, mm-hmm. and uh, man, the shot where they reveal Peking in its grandeur and all the the hustle and bustle. I feel like that's in a ton of movies we've watched now. Like it reminds me of a uh, um, what is it, Thief of Baghdad when they see. Um, um, I forgot the town they're in, um, but the big port city and like all the hustle and bustle people so, so selling I, things, big markets. Is that Agrabah that they're in? Uh, I don't think so. It's uh, <laughs> it is it is sorry. It, it's unimportant. <laughs> Basra, but uh, I don't know. Basra, I think that sounds right. Um, but the the big thing that we're doing here is we. We kind of are, it's not in media res, but it feels like that in terms of the timeline of the story of, um, we see this a lot through the movie of, uh, Legacy. Master Li Mubai comes in with a, uh, reputation we've, we've heard about as a legendary warrior. We have the, the background of Shu Duan and we... We kind of get alluded to their their feelings for each other. There's a lot of stuff that kind of happens before this movie that we get dropped into really quickly. Um, the, we have the the governor and the there's not really politics in the movie at no. all. No. Um, the only thing is the governor's daughter is of renown because it is uh, it's kind of for a reason that it has nothing to do with her. It's unearned, and Limu buys. Uh, legacy is earned and 
Xu uh, Liuan. Um, we see her as something of a... Uh, <clears throat> she's unique in that she is an unmarried um, warrior who had who inherited, I, think, I believe, inherited her father's uh, security company. And with that, um, with her being unmarried but having her own reputation, she has this freedom that uh, uh, a character like Jen Yu is really drawn to. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's just a lot going on in this very first part that uh, you kind of can, <laughs> not not that you can forget it, but you can kind of put it aside as long as you understand how all these characters feel about each other. Yeah. You know what what, what uh, Lee and uh, Shu Luen feel about each other, and you know what uh, Jen Yu admires about these warriors is their freedom. You know, with the lifestyle she has, having servants and a, a noble house... Um, it's the one thing she doesn't have is freedom because you know she's also introduced as being promised to marry someone. So yeah, it's a choice that you know these these warriors have their choices and they can choose to defend their honor. And Jin Yu is not able to make any choices at all, even after marry being married, being a woman in this time period. Um, so I think it does a good job of kind of getting a lot of stuff out of the way, um, especially because uh, you know you alluded to. We talked about it before the show, but it's based on a novel in a quintology, and it's based on the fourth novel, where presumably these characters, uh, um, we, we'd known them by this point. <laughs> I'm not sure why. I know that Ang Lee, when he chose to adapt <clears throat> this uh, the um, this dynasty series by, by the author, uh, I think Wang Du Lu, I believe that's the author, um, I don't know, that that's off memory. I'm not sure if that's right, but he really he wanted really wanted to do the fourth one. So, um, anyway, it does a good job of uh, yeah. checking us in here and checking us in with the emotional vibe and kind of the visual vibe that it, that he's going for. A lot of long sweeping shots and uh, pulling back to reveal you know a great setting for the story he's about to tell. Yeah, I mean it, it is similar to like. Uh, would uh, it, dropping us right in in the way that like it does I mean I, I think it's because it's, they're my favorite movies but you know a Star Wars movie uh, it just kind of drops you in with this past history that you hear about and you think oh maybe I'd like to see those movies at some point the, This like maybe it'd be cool to see Mubai just you know in his heyday uh, he, he and uh his his pal and Shulin, uh, the three of them, and their that interaction, uh, which would probably be a pretty entertaining movie, but it doesn't. Not being able to see that doesn't detract from this movie any. So mm-hmm. this movie does an excellent job of establishing that history and uh, making that history sound kind of interesting, but not uh, not needing us to have really seen it um, or experienced or read those novels or anything. Um, so. It's uh, it, I think it does a very efficient job at uh, at lining up the story. Um, one evening, a masked thief sneaks into Certe's estate and steals the Green Destiny. Certe's servant master or servant Master Bo and Shu Lin trace the theft to Governor Yu's compound, where Jade Fox had been posing as Jin's governess for many years. Soon after, Mubai arrives in Beijing and discusses the theft with Xu Lin. 
Master Bo takes the acquaintance of Inspector Sai, a police investigator from the provinces, and his daughter May, who have come to Beijing in pursuit of the Jade Fox. Fox challenges the pair and Master Bo to a showdown that night. Following a protracted battle, the group is on the verge of defeat when Mubai arrives and outmaneuvers Fox. She reveals that she killed Mubai's teacher because uh, he would sleep with her but refused to take a woman as a pupil, and she felt it poetic justice for him to die at a woman's hand. Just as Mubai is about to kill her, the masked thief reappears and helps Fox. Fox kills Sai before fleeing with the thief, who is revealed to be Jin. After seeing Jin fight Mubai, Fox realizes Jin had been secretly studying the Wudang Manual. Fox is illiterate and could only follow the diagrams, whereas Jin's ability to read the manual allowed her to surpass her mentor in martial arts. Uh, all right. This, this is a, lo- a lot happens here. This first, uh, the, the theft of the, the Green Destiny, and then the, the big fight out in the courtyard with several different entities all fighting uh, one another. Um, but I do think it's, it's funny. There's at one point you see, a, you see a, like a wanted photo or a wanted poster of the Jade Fox, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, no one knows who this is. And then you see the, uh, I think, I think he's, I, I may be wrong, but I, I think you see the poster before you see the, uh, the handmaiden. And then as soon as I see the handmaiden, I say, Oh, that's the Jade Fox. Cause it looks, it's a really good drawing. It looks just like that woman. How did no one know this was, uh, this woman was not the Jade Fox. <laughs> yeah. Whoever saw her steal something has like an incredible visual memory. Cause yeah. that's an amazing police sketch. Yes. <laughs> And also, everyone who has seen her is really bad. Is, is apparently never seen that uh, Jade Fox poster because it's a it is spot on. Um, but this is a this is the probably the first scene when I'll say it's a great scene. And I think this is the scene where you see the fighting, but you only see the feet at time. There's a scene. There's a part of the fight where you only see footwork, and I loved that shot. It's not like a big sweeping grand shot, but it's just a nice little touch to just show. And you can just tell from the footwork how precise this fighting is. And it's really impressive. Yeah, especially when I think it's when uh, when Lee Mubai is trying to keep the the thief that, uh, you know, took the sword from leaving from, you know, doing the, the wushu kind of flying away. Mm-hmm. And he's using his foot to kind of... Uh, I believe it's uh, it's him to kind of like plant her to the ground and anchor her. It's really uh, it's one of those things like you've never seen before. Yeah, and that's you know things like that are slightly comical, and they're 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 they're. I like it. It has it kind of keeps its lighthearted tone a little bit at times, and and that's something I, I do appreciate about this movie. Um. Yeah. But like uh, I said before, I mean this is the this is the time in the movie that's the pulse check of are you going to go with it or not? Yeah, and uh, you know if 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 you, you can't follow this and you don't you don't like all the movement and people jumping to different parts of the compound, then you know you can pretty much exit here. And you know I'm not I'm not that terribly interested in what you think of the rest of the movie. <laughs> so. I'm curious what you think about. Do you think that uh, do you think that Jade Fox's story makes her sympathetic in a way? And is, is do you find it interesting? Do you find her a more compelling villain because of her her reasoning? 
You know, the first time uh, I did not, rem- I got to admit, I did not remember that the reason that Jade Fox killed the um, killed the master. Uh, I think I what I came into it was you know when he killed the killed Limo Bai's master. I assumed it was just you know taking his stuff or just revenge for revenge sake in these kind of martial arts yeah. or action action movies. And I wrote the same note is it's in it's intensely sympathetic with our our <clears throat> our symbol of deceit and betrayal, Jade Fox, you know, being uh trying to be a student just like Lee Mubai and like uh Gen Yu is a student here, to betray that uh that trust of you know, sleeping with her and not and refusing to teach her and the sexism that comes up throughout the movie and trying to, to buck that and uh yeah, I think it makes her a very sympathetic villain. As much as this movie really has a central villain, I guess it is Jade Fox. Um, I guess it is. Um, we'll, we can talk more about that, I guess, later. But uh, yeah, I also I also agree. I was a lot more sympathetic. I think it uh, resonated a lot more this time. The reason why she was doing what she was doing and the reason why she was turning to... You know, the things that are dishonorable, like uh, poison and uh, using poison-tipped weapons, which would be dishonorable, mm-hmm. is because, you know, her heart was poisoned by this act of, uh, not even betrayal, but apathy and not even acknowledging her worth. Yeah, and misogyny. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's... Uh... And and it doesn't make me root for her anymore. I think mm-hmm. she's she's still someone I, I root against in the movie. She's still you know an, an antagonist, but I do I do think it makes her much more interesting. Um, and as a parallel to Jen, who she's you know not only she's teaching, she's the handmaiden for she's uh, um, who who is similarly kind of being thrust into uh, a life where she's not being given respect uh, for all that she's capable of by the men that surround her. And I think that Jade Fox probably sees a lot of herself in Jen for that reason. And and I can see there, um, I can see why she has that sympathy and I can also see why she kind of feels uh, a particular betrayal uh, from this revelation that Jen has, uh, you know, surpassed her. Uh, by 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 not sharing, um, not sharing the knowledge with her. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating reveal of the uh, you know Jade Fox is illiterate, so couldn't understand the manuals that she stole and was teaching this. I think they later on say that Jen was twelve years old when Jade Fox came to her and posed as her servant and kind of groomed her into this lifestyle and with you know her her jade fox is kind of hate in her heart kind of influencing her a little bit but it uh that's, that's what i'm talking about when it's jade fox is the is kind of the main bad guy when when you get to close to the end of the movie but the real threat is the um the talent not to do a star wars more star wars stuff but the talent that is like undisciplined and yeah. unchecked um kind of comes into part uh a little later in the movie in the form of Jen Yu with the uh all of the desire to be free and be a warrior but without any of the um without the discipline 
and the respect that uh, I guess someone who was would have been able to be actually taught by someone who um, cared to teach a uh, someone and cared to teach a, a woman mm-hmm. would have given her. Yeah, she's a far more compelling uh, kind of a reverse Anakin than Anakin is. <laughs> Yeah. Like uh, the sort of the Sith apprentice, if you will, who uh, eventually uh, realizes that maybe she wants to be a Jedi. This isn't about Star Wars, though, but it's it's easy to see those parallels. Um, yeah, I th- think this is this is like I believe this is two different fights. This is talking about here. Yes, it's the theft of the sword, mm-hmm. and then. Um, the theft isn't isn't so much a fight as like a look at all this flying is how I kind of remember it, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting. It's more of a chase, and uh, the fight though is the arranged like, and it's the the brawl, not a brawl, but it's the fight out on the uh, I don't know. It's kind of a pavilion. I feel like it's a flat open yeah. area. I think do they? I think they call it at, at the Yellow Hill that they'll meet at uh, midnight, and mm-hmm. Jade. Fo- they say Jade Fox is is late, and uh, as the for the first fight, Lee Mubai isn't there, and then um, he comes back, and Shi Luen is assuming he came back for uh, for the sword, but uh, it's just another one of those like uh, I don't know missed connection things. Mm-hmm. Of, it not really wanting to talk about their feelings is he came back for reasons he is about to say he didn't even know about the sword until he got there and then you know he's he's back uh, I think someone like interrupts him before he's about to say why he was actually back and you know as the audience is like he's back because he loves you <laughs> so I think this is this is also the section of the movie with the um, uh, calligraphy scene right mm-hmm. yeah which I love that scene. It's uh, the way that uh, Jin Yu has, she, she shows such control over the uh, the quill. I don't know. Is it a quill that she's using? I'm not even sure. But the uh, whatever she, uh, paint, the brush that she's mm-hmm. painting the calligraphy with, that um, uh, Shu Lin recognizes that precision and you can see it in her eyes that she is piecing together that this is the thief. Um, I think it's in between those two scenes is, mm-hmm. is, is the scene. And uh, I love when she's just there, they're having a conversation and Shu Lin is just watching her every movement and she suspects it. And then she kind of confirms it just by, just by knowing this, this, this girl has such precise muscle movements that she only she could be the thief, and I, I kind of I love that scene. Yeah, and she tests that with dropping her teacup. Yes, <clears throat> and uh, you know, without even looking, Jin Yu is is recovering it while her uh, I believe that's her mother is kind of just kind of yammering on about something. Mm-hmm. It's like the other kind of the opposite side of the coin of where her life could go if she gets married and does that something is like she's unobserved. It would be unobservant like her mother is. Meanwhile, this. Uh, this warrior who she admires is like she's clocking everything and everything here in the plot is getting revealed through action. Like it's the action through her calligraphy. It's her her reaction to catching things. And, you know, she has clocked, you know, just about everything that's that's going on here. Yeah. Uh, at night, a desert bandit named Lo 
breaks into Jen's bedroom and asks her to leave with them. A flashback reveals that in the past, when Governor Yu and his family were traveling in the western deserts, Lo and his bandits had raided Jen's caravan and Lo had stolen her comb. She pursued him to his desert cave to get her comb back. However, the pair soon fell passionately in love. Lo eventually convinced Jen to return to her family, though not before telling her a legend of a man who jumped off a cliff to make his wishes come true. Because the man's heart was pure, he did not die. Lo came to Beijing to persuade Jen not to go through with her arranged marriage. However, Jen refuses to leave with him. Later, Lo interrupts Jen's wedding pr procession, begging her to leave with him. Nearby, Xu Lin and Mu Bai convince Lo to wait for Jen at Mount Wudang, where he will be safe from Jen's family, who are furious with him. Jen runs away from her husband on their wedding night before the marriage could be consummated. Disguised in male clothing, she's accosted at an inn by a large group of warriors. Armed with the green destiny and her own superior combat skills, she emerges victorious. So, first, uh, what do you make of, well, how do you, how do you feel about the flashback romance? Yeah, I was about to ask you the same thing. It's 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 very abrupt. Um, yeah, very unexpected. Yeah, I think it's our only flashback. It's our only mess with chronology here, mm -hmm. and it's pretty extended. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't clock how long it actually is, but it's it's uh, it goes a long way to explaining Jen Yu's character, which I think is the point of her. She's about to take on a large portion of the narrative heft here. She's about to carry it over from you know Li Mu Bai and Xu Lian. You know they have their emotional plot going on, and we're kind of all filled in on that. And then the once we have the balance of power, realizing that she's surpassed Jade Fox. That uh, we need to kind of explain a little bit how she got there. Um, it's a, it's a. If, if I have one criticism, it's a tad clunky how how it how it gets there. But I do like uh, a lot of the scenes in the. Um, you know, they go to the desert. The desert is beautiful. I think it's the actual Gobi Desert that they filmed at, mm -hmm. um, from what I was reading. Um, uh, I, I really enjoyed the. Um, the kind of the flirty fight on horseback yeah <laughs> where they're just like uh dark low is kind of toying with her and she's like straight up shooting arrows at him and <laughs> he's laughing yeah <laughs> she becomes a she becomes a prisoner here and there's a lot of you know here have some water and then she kicks him and you know eats something and like bludgeons him with a rock and a lot of things like he's gonna, she's gonna stab her, and then they're going to have sex. There's a lot of, there's a lot of violence and, and sexuality kind of crossed here. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of explains a lot of, uh, well, I don't know, if it explains a lot, but it explains a, a little bit about where where Jen Yu kind of came from emotionally. Um, she had these two kind of, uh, I don't know, I'd probably call them immature forces in her life. Um, Jade Fox and uh, and Lo or Dark Cloud, who uh, both are taking her off of her off of her path, you know, both both very influential in her life, you know. Um, but uh, as far as like the just going along for the visuals and the mood, and the uh, the emotions, the visuals are 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 beautiful. The the expanse of the desert in all those scenes and, um. Here is where we get the the part that is is pretty beautifully paid off in the end is 
they explain, you know, if you jump off that mountain, it, it grants a wish that a man was ill and he, he made a wish and floated far away. And it's kind of, uh, um, that that's going to come into play later. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so what, what did what did you think of it? Yeah, so I've I found it charming, maybe a tad longer than I wished it had been. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it is at this point, it is a a a departure from the story you're already invested in, and there's nothing wrong with this story, but it is a departure, mm-hmm. and so I wish it. I do wish it was a little more efficient with its. Uh, with its storytelling to that extent, but I do it's find also, it to, to this point, sorry to jump in to this point, crouching tiger has not really been a movie that that's lingered. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, like it's, it's, it's kind of jumped you in, you get up to speed, a lot of like, uh, you know, things are revealed through action, mm-hmm. plots revealed through action. And here like background characters revealed through, through action. And it's, it's kind of a change of pace as well. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting that we don't, you know, we don't get the flashback showing um, Shu Lin's uh, fiance or anything mm-hmm. like that, or her her past with um, um, God, I'm so terrible with names. Lee Mubai, yes, yeah. Lee Mubai, um, and it's interesting that this is the past story that is that he chose to tell here, and I think it is charming and beautiful and well done, and I. I Maybe it is just an excuse to get into a different part of China with the, the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, well, this is this is gorgeous too. We should have something there, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it's. I don't know that I needed it, um, and I don't want it to sound like I wish it was cut completely. But I don't know that I really. I don't know that I learned a whole lot more about uh, Jen from the flashback. Or, uh, maybe I maybe I learned more about her. But I don't know that it really changed my view of Jen because I already mm-hmm. I already had enough of mo- of her motivation from being forced into this marriage that she was not interested in. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It doesn't change your perception as well as kind of fills in some some color to the the person you you're coming to know. And for the movie to take such a investment in this, you'd you'd think it would be for more of a narrative or emotional payoff than than what it gives you. Yeah. If anything, maybe it's just a it it humanizes her a bit, and to that point, maybe she's she might seem a little vicious as a as a thief and a, a you know Jade's uh, um, protege. Maybe you're mm-hmm. maybe you're maybe it's to get you more on Jen's side going forward. But yeah, um, yeah, it, it works that way. There, I guess there is a little bit of a, a gap between. A governor's daughter and becoming this this intense um, this person who has these raw skills to you know be one of the most powerful warriors in in the region is explaining this this background of she's always had kind of a drive that she would like chase on horseback this guy through the desert for a comb mm-hmm. you know she has that drive in her and when it was focused in martial arts and through her her abilities. She kind of found a good avenue for it. Well, that gets us to the inn. Uh, and oh boy, gosh, what, yes. a, what a scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's the inn. First off, I love all the uh, 
the introductions of uh, the Warriors who introduce themselves as uh, <laughs> by their nickname, their regional nickname or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, oh, you might know me from my fighting. I am, you know, the Flying Phoenix or something. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a really funny scene. Yeah. Um, but also you know, think- incredible to, I mean, incredibly choreographed at the same time. Yeah. And, and thinking back on it, I forgot that it took the time for these moments of levity. And I don't think Angley kind of gets the credit for doing this kind of stuff. Um, it's it's a I love this scene in, in the cafe, and it makes Jen Jen use someone that it makes you so conflicted. Like, are you cheering for her or not? She's stolen the sword of the presumed main character, so she's kind of a deceitful thief. But uh, her. Um, I guess uh, immaturity or her insouciance that like these 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 warriors' names is just like, what's your name? Like is just annoyed at them, and uh, the be- the best part is uh, you know everyone's saying she's so uncivilized and is just taking out everybody all co- all manner of uh, all manner of weapons, giant clubs, all kinds of things, and and making the movie makes great um, makes great takes great advantage of the of. The kind of geography of this inn being on two floors, you know, I love that it's on two floors. People are going careening down and <laughs> yeah, and, and flying out of windows and stuff. And she's she especially takes out this one guy named Gao, and they're like, "Who who's who's Gao?" It's like that that was her husband to be, and the whole inn goes, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's a great scene." Um, Playing with a lot of that movement that was like beauty and restraint before, and really making uh, um, something just just entertaining with it here. I also like um, uh, what was it going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. It's just a really cool scene. It is a cool um, scene, and it's also not a particularly important scene, but it's just a uh, let's have some fun with Jin Yu uh, scene, <laughs> and that's that's really all it is. Yeah, it demonstrates, you know, before she was at a standstill with Lee Mubai, and now it's, it's kind of the 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 gauging against normal people. Yes. She is like a superhero. Yes. Um, that kind of level checks you where she's at and where Lee Mubai is at. Because mm-hmm. you hadn't really seen Lee Mubai be in, uh, insanely incredible, but with this level check and the, uh, you know, the the... You know the relative ability between the two. It kind of um, balances the power, and you kind of understand that all these people are very, very talented and very skilled and and special. Uh, Jin visits Xu Lin, who tells her that Lo is waiting for her at Mount Wudang. After an angry exchange, the two women engage in a duel. Xu Lin is the superior fighter, but Jin wields the Green Destiny. The sword destroys each weapon that Xu Lin wields until Xu Lin finally manages to defeat Jin with a broken sword. When Xu Lin shows mercy, Jin wounds Xu Lin in the arm. Mu Bai arrives and pursues Jin into a bamboo forest. Mu Bai confronts Jin and offers to take her as his student. She arrogantly promises to accept him as her teacher if he can take Green Destiny from her in three moves. Mubai is able to take the sword in only one move, but Jin goes back on her word to accept him as teacher. Mubai throws the sword over a waterfall. Jin dives after it and is then rescued by Jade Fox. Fox puts Jin into a drugged sleep and places her in a cavern. Mubai and Shulin discover her there. 
fox suddenly reappears and attacks the others with poisoned darts. Mubai blocks the needles with his sword and avenges his master's death by mortally wounding Fox, only to realize that one of the darts hits him in the neck. Fox dies, confessing that her goal had been to kill Jin, because Jin had hidden the secrets of Wudang's best fighting techniques from her. Um, okay, so... The fight between Jin and Shulin. That is the... Uh, that's my pick for scene of the movie. I, yeah, I loved it so much. Um, it's almost uh, it, it's it's so much more transcendent than video games, but it's almost video gamey of like trying a bunch of uh, weapons against somebody yeah. and none of them work. And it's so um, virtuosic of you also see how how talented Shulian is is she's able to. You know, it's it's very visually impressive how she's handling all these weapons, and there's great variety in all of them, and even a little bit of humor. The one thing she can't hold up all the way, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's just so um, not mad, but she's so like done with it that she's just like, I'm gonna try everything to just end this right now, and goes through everything, clears out the clears out the place. But uh, and it's really yeah. cool when the I don't even know how to describe these weapons. I don't even know what they are, but they're they're kind of curved on the end and they're they're metal and sharp. Mm-hmm. And she winds up hooking them onto each other, and then winds mm-hmm. up using that as like this uh, extended range, uh, whirling weapon, which is a mm-hmm. really really cool part. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. It's it's another like balletic scene of a virtuosic um, stunt performing, and the the cast sells it really well, and it's it's captured just so amazingly. It's one of those things that you would want to just pull up on YouTube and watch. You know, you, you this is where like the editing of a movie really comes in and shines is when you can have this fight between the two characters. Uh, you can follow it it's not mm-hmm. a, a you know a whirlwind of motion that we're, we're just having to guess who's winning and whatnot it's it's a it's a very elegantly simply shot scene um that also it i love the way it cuts back and forth from to their faces and you you get a good sense of how shulin is feeling in this uh, battle and you get a good sense of where jen yu uh, where she is at, uh, not just physically, but emotionally in the fight. And it's, uh, I just, I love the the play between them. And it's, I, I kind of, I think it's really cool that in this movie about where where most of the the, the badass characters are, are women, that the, maybe my mm-hmm. favorite fight is a fight between two women. And it's not over a man. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, uh, it's also, it's, it's so confident then mm-hmm. it just takes place in a dojo with like a simple beige floor. Yeah, yeah. like it's not uh, it's not breaking through walls and and going through everywhere. Or it's, not it's on like a keep... bridge or anything with like some <laughs> yeah. scenic backdrop. The the focus is on them. There's not a sunset or like you know it's not the magic hour. It's in this place with yeah. like these like lantern light and <laughs> it just blows your socks off watching it. Yeah, and it also is a good uh, you know. In, in the transition to talking about the uh, the exchange, it's not much of a fight, the exchange with Limu Bay, Limu Bai. I've said it twi- two different ways now, so I, I apologize to 
to Chow Yun Fat's character. Um, the fight with Shu Lian is kind of on the ground, and that's where she is. And metaphorically, Li Mu Bei is, you know, he's chosen the, the monk. Um, they've both chosen two different ways to escape their feelings. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, you know, Shu Lian is pragmatic. She's got her business, and she handles things, and... She's a, you know, she's, she's a badass. And Li Mu Bei is trying to escape it spiritually to try to, um, you know, he, he, earlier in the film he says he tried to meditate to get beyond everything, but all he could find was suffering. It was like unending suffering, which, which pulled him back from Mount Wudang and, you know, trying to reach Nirvana. Um, this is, it's a great staging of the two confrontations with Jen Yu, who's kind of the, the superhero, you know, went Super Saiyan with the sword. Julian is fighting in her place of business and, and breaking things on the ground, and Li Mu Bei is swaying in the trees, and there's a beautiful, I don't want to keep saying this movie's poetic, but like a lyrical beauty to the, the bamboo and the, the mm-hmm. wind going through it, and being in nature that I think is is a great back-to-back just juxtapositions for where those two characters are coming from. Mm-hmm. You would even describe her as grounded. And yeah. she is physically <laughs> on, more on the ground than uh, uh, <clears throat> um, than Mubai. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, as, as Jen... Oh, um, how do you like the, the, the fight in the cavern? It's... Um... It's it's interesting. It it's, was a little confusing about what what was going on in, in trying to follow it and the uh, I was I kind I guess I kind of missed it at first of like maybe I should have noticed like how how was she being drugged? It was like oh that thing I guess it was just my cultural unfamiliarity. I thought she was making tea or that was a candle or something, and I guess I didn't understand that that was a method to drug her or maybe. You know, you're supposed to be shocked that she's drugged, or or something. Um, it it uh, a cave is a perfect resolution for that character's fate. You know, I understand, but uh, I don't know. I was, I was missing a little bit of, of something in that. But again, I don't think Jade Fox is the most dynamic of characters. Right. Her her character kind of reveals the the depth of other characters. Um, how about you? Did, what did you think of the cave? <laughs> Honestly, it, it, it is a scene that has kind of left me a little bit other than what happens there. I don't remember a lot of the mechanics of how it happens there. <clears throat> and so I, I, it didn't leave a real big impact on me. Uh, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to gauge like the danger of it because, um, there's a lot that's, uh, I say visceral all the time, not to say there's, there's like a visceral threat in swords and the things that the movie foregrounds and something like darts where uh man i'm mentioning star wars again you could essentially like lightsaber away the the laser blasts with them if you just swing it like fast enough um it never felt like anyone was in danger and the dart like one dart leaving felt a little convenient for that's how that the jade fox thing and the eventual uh limu bai story ends I guess just to have, you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking, but to have some criticism there as an aside, I think I always go to star Wars because I have, uh, I've been in love with star Wars since I was a small child and then am mostly disappointed by star Wars movies that have come out in my lifetime. <laughs> and so, uh, I'm always looking for, 
good Star Wars movies in other movies. And so, uh, you know, when I when I see a movie sometimes and I think, oh, this would have been a great Star Wars movie. Uh, not that it needed to be, but it would have, uh, you know, this this would have been an improvement on uh, <laughs> on so many Star Wars movies that yeah. I've seen. The sword against the darts it just reminds me when you're a kid and you're like you're you're play fighting, and someone's got like a, you know I've got a gun or I've got bow and arrow and you just go well I got a sword and I can do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's kind of reminded me of. Sorry for those who are listening. I was doing like a little pew, choo, 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 with the sword. <laughs> Uh, as uh, as Jin leaves to prepare an antidote for the poison dart, Mubai prepares to die. With his last breaths, he finally confesses his love for Shulin. He dies in her arms as Jin returns too late to save him. The green destiny is returned to Serte. Jin later goes to Mount Wudang and spends one last night with Lo. The next morning, Lo finds Jin standing on a bridge overlooking the edge of the mountain. In an echo of the legend that they spoke about in the desert, she asks him to make a wish. He wishes for them to be together again back in the desert, and Jen jumps off the bridge to fly among white clouds. So, Mubai dies a heroic death, and, you know, uh, you get the, the, the moment where he and Shulin... Uh, now, does their, does their love for each other, does it still... Would you still consider it unrequited? Or is this the, the requiting... <laughs> <clears throat> they're never able to act on it but yeah. uh in terms of these characters this is this is like emotional third base <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not to be vulgar about it but uh it's also a, it's an interesting um you know he Li Mu Bai is is i think a really interesting character in that like the monk in the martial arts movies is kind of like uh, there's there's a lot of like superhero stuff about martial arts movies of he achieved enlightenment therefore he could do things like fly and you know repel arrows or catch arrows and throw mm-hmm. them to the side. Um, he refutes total enlightenment because he finds suffering because his heart was uh, you know longing for someone. That's that's kind of what the movie is going for, and rather than. <clears throat> You know, having the um, the messianic death where he would he would go and go out noble. He kind of goes out, and it's uh, it's interesting his, his confession and his he wants to go out um, and not have the rights of enlightenment to leave his leave the plane and go to um, like go to to a, a heavenly existence, but he. He makes it a personal sacrifice rather than a sacrifice for the world that you see in a lot of these kind of movies mm-hmm. where he, he specifically says, like, I want to be con- a condemned soul by your side. I'll never be lonely because I'll be a ghost hovering around you. It makes um, makes the sacrifice personal rather than uh, like, a, like a grandstanding sacrifice. Right. I just, I just thought that that was an interesting... Um, interesting move there that I think really makes his uh, I keep saying interesting and I keep saying I keep saying stuff but you know what I haven't done this in two months I'm in a new house everyone can deal with it <laughs> what, what did you think about how he chose to leave I'm I, I get I was I was I was rooting for mm-hmm. their their love to you know, manifest and for him to just sort of, uh, you know, retire off with, with Shulin somewhere. But, um, that's, that's the, the romantic comedy fan in me that, that wants happy endings all the time. 
Yeah. It's it, they were I think when the movie starts there's a part of me who just understands that they're fated not to be with each other. And this is this kind of completes that arc of uh, achieving that they're they're with each other just for the, you know, the ironic final second. They can finally be honest and uh you know, the thing he was holding on to that kept him from true enlightenment was having this secret passion is finally revealed um, just too late. Um, it makes it, it makes it, uh, uh, you know, part of the, one of the, or the, the core tragedy of the movie. Mm-hmm. My real problem with the end of this movie is that the Green Destiny is returned to Certe. Uh, he, he was in possession of the thing for like, I don't know, 20 minutes before it was stolen by a bandit. Uh, the security at Certes is not that impressive. You know, he, he, they probably return it to him as he's, you know, trying to wipe the chalk off the it's been zero days since uh, a magical sword was stolen here. Uh, and it's just, I, I don't know, what I feel like a weapon of uh, such power should maybe not, not be in his hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, you think there'd be some kind of booby trap or some kind of fail safe there um this uh this this sword that ended the destiny of such a legendary warrior and um, it's going right back it's like you, you got to learn your lesson this time man to to a benefactor he just he he's a he's a donor he just helps them mm-hmm. out sometimes and he gets them the most important weapon in the the universe um now what what about the ending the the in, the bridge ending of this movie uh mm-hmm. you know so what do you think? What do you think the ending of this movie kind of means? What do you think Jen is? Uh, I don't know. Walk me through that because I'm not sure. I, I think I, I found it pretty and beautiful, but maybe it didn't. It kind of nail it for me. Yeah, uh, it's a little confounding for a movie that's like so. Um, like I said, I think it's I think it's a masterpiece, but the ending really. There's a lot to contend with there to kind of make it make sense. It makes visual sense and it makes kind of like some emotional sense, but uh, or like it it has a narrative payoff of a line that happens midway through the movie. Right, so you kind of understand that it could happen. Um, and I, I've I've tried to think a lot about it. I think it is the resolution of Jen's maturity. Okay. Um, that her act of thievery set in motion the thing that took away a uh, you know a legendary warrior but more importantly um it took away the ability for you know these two characters who should have been in love with each other and had happiness um it took that freedom away and she said you know freedom is true happiness earlier in the movie she takes that away when she sets this this in motion for um, that character to pass away. So I think this is um, not to mix cultures, but this is like her seppuku. This is her her noble um, her noble end of accepting that uh, you know her her wrongdoing, finally owning up to it. Where her entire journey through the movie has been running away. You know she runs away from. You know, her mother to go through the desert to mm-hmm. you know, have fun with some some uh, desert bandits. She runs away from um, from her her wedding. She runs away with the sword. All kinds of stuff. Is she's uh, she's finally kind of giving in to her 
her fate as you know the person who started all this in motion that she has that one last night you know it's an embrace that uh, Shulian and Limu Bai couldn't have together and once she has that she uh, she um, I'm, I'm putting a lot in this movie um, <laughs> by the way just just uh, just to interject there so she she takes herself away from the romance that uh, she took away from these two characters that should have been together if you know, if they could have just had a little longer or, you know, one of them could have retired from their warrior ways and they could finally be be honest with each other. That's, you know, she took away that freedom from Shuluan, a person she truly admired and accepts her fate. That's, that's my, my take on it. I don't know if that's canonical or anything, but... Yeah, it does leave it open to interpretation. I do think it would be uh, funny if, like, there's a post credit scene where it's just... Uh... It's just low, standing on the bridge, looking up, and uh, and then uh, after a minute, Jen just just softly glides back down, and he just he just says, well, "That was really cool. How'd you do that?" And uh, <laughs> that's how it ends. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I don't have any real strong thoughts about that ending because it 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 didn't. I don't know. I mean, I like your your explanation as well as any other. Um, yeah. I, I at least think that she dies. Um, I, I, I actually, I would, I would probably guess that she survives because maybe her heart is indeed pure now. And if the legend <laughs> is true, I think maybe her act of trying to save Mubai as futile as it was, is, is the purification. She's made her choice. Her choice is, not a, a life of uh, being an assassin like Jade Fox, but uh, maybe she's mm-hmm. going to pursue the Shu Lin path of uh, being a, a more noble warrior. And there are adventures to come, but mm-hmm. that's, I always see things with a, a, a an optimistic slant, I think. I can see that, that she's leaving behind her in her kind of romantic entanglement Maybe she sees what uh, what the the repressed passion has done to Limu Bai, and he almost achieved enlightenment, and that's her shedding her her last kind of uh, you know restriction on herself, and and being one with nature, you know, floating through the clouds, could be her ascendance rather than her descend, descend versus ascend. Yeah, no, no, that's that's the two two sides of the coin. It's a it's a it's certainly an interesting ending. It's a very Birdman ending. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, so yeah, that's that's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So um, thematically, this movie, uh, what what do you, what do you think's going on? So um, w- w- was was the the Crouching Tiger and the Hidden Dragon the friends we made along the way? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was. That's it. The end. End of podcast. <laughs> What's the, so? What is the, what does the title refer to? I, I I know I've read this and I know I picked up mm-hmm. on it at at one point, but I've uh, it's, it's yeah. been a few months. I, I believe it's a uh, it's a Chinese parable about things happening below the surface that you're that you're not observing, like behind any rock, behind you know anything could be a crouching tiger, or a hidden dragon. Of uh, and it really plays into the uh, a lot. What's going on here? There's a lot under the surface. Mm-hmm. There's restrained passion, but there's also um, a really um, 
um, what's the, what's the word? Um, it's a really progressive view of gender roles in this. Yeah. Of um, all of these females have been um, underrated and not considered and observed, um, not for their true worth and their true um, their true talent and strength. Um, they are the the crouching tigers and hidden dragons of this uh, of this time period. Um, just as strong, if not stronger, than the, the male characters. Li Mu Bai is almost... Uh, he's not ineffectual because he's very hes very talented, but mm-hmm. he's, he's he doesn't really drive a lot of what's going on. It's the uh, the dynamics between these women that are changing that kind of uh, influence what's what's going on here. Uh, so I think uh, that's the main theme of, of the movie for me. Yeah, I like it. It's... You know, in a movie like this, the the theme is probably not going to be ultra complex or anything because it is it is an adventure at heart, and uh, it's that's not to say it's not a smart adventure. It is a I think it's a very smart adventure the way it goes about uh, you know uh, making points about these gender roles and whatnot. But it's uh, mm-hmm. it is it it still knows where its bread is buttered, and that's in the adventure. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think it's heavy handed with its themes. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, well, is if there's is there anything else, or are you ready to to Oscar this thing up? Let's Oscar it. Up. All right, ten nominations. So we're gonna need to uh, kind of go a little faster through these than we normally do. But let's talk about its wins first. Uh, it won for cinematography. Uh, cinematographer Peter Powell won the Oscar over Gladiator, Melina, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and The Patriot. Boy, that's a that's one I would not have guessed. Um, how do you feel about this uh, this win? The Patriot was robbed. <laughs> no, I think uh, um, I'll probably say this a couple of times, but the visuals are are something that are that stick with you more than what actually happens during the movie, and it's just so well shot. Um, the fight cinematography is some of the best i feel like i've ever seen of, of this kind of action this kind of action that you never really see this really thoughtful but uh forceful action that's going on and the uh, it still has the uh you know the the sweeping vistas of uh epics that win this award uh, over gladiators gladiator is very good i think gladiator has kind of gone gotten a little underrated over the time um, the, those visuals were were pretty pretty great at the time. Oh brother, where art thou? Was you know that's Roger Deakins. All those Deakin shots are like could be their own paintings. Mm-hmm. But I would uh, if I was voting here, I would I would uh, give it to the winner here. I'd give it to Crouching Tiger. Yeah, it, is this and this this is where I'll ask this because I was wondering this a lot. Um, is cinematography where you would uh, reward fight choreography? Because, man, I feel like fight choreography just, there's no good category for it, really. Uh, yeah. It's a mix of that. It's a mix editing? of editing and, and direction. Yeah. Um, and acting. Like, it's where everything comes together. But in terms of the, I guess, the framing and the lighting and, and some of the stuff, you know, cinematography is one of those things that's really tough to explain if, to people who aren't cinematographers, I guess. If you're a cinematographer listening to us, you're probably very mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, uh, cinematography is really hard to explain to people who aren't cinematographers. Uh, put that in <laughs> yeah. quotes and credit it to two non-cinematographers. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry, Eman- Emmanuel Luzbeski and 
<laughs> and uh, you know, Raj, I know you're listening. Um, He's got his own podcast story, but. <laughs> that's true. I've listened to it. I like it. Oh, good. I haven't, I haven't gotten a chance yet. Um, I'm with you though. I think this is uh, this is a, a, a move, a part where, where uh, crouching tiger really shines is in its mm-hmm. cinematography. So kind of an easy, an easy mm-hmm. yes for me. Um, although yeah. I do think Oh brother, where art thou is, is really well shot. Um, yeah. And I haven't seen gladiator in a long time. The Patriot, I mean, it's a, it's a real pretty movie. Sure. It's, I mean, it's in South Carolina and the, in the 1700s, but whatever. And then I don't, I don't know anything about Molina. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Sorry. Uh, it was uh, also one for original score by Tan Dunn, beating out Chocola, Gladiator, Molina, and The Patriot again, nominated for <clears throat> best score. Um, I think the score in this movie is gorgeous. It's, it's. Uh, I really loved it. I noticed it in the movie. I thought it was great, and I don't. I don't know the scores for these other movies at all, so I really can't. I really can't base it, uh, you know, against them. But it seems worthy of a win. Yeah, and the the thing that is great about it is it's not overbearing, right? Too it it fills in a lot of detail with uh, <clears throat> with the it kind of what I love about scores is scores that kind of help um, drive home the theme. The theme of like the 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 passion and the 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 grandeur and the the epic nature of this story happening in this this traditional setting, and I never think it gets into a place where it's in front of the scene. Like it's always either with the scene or behind the scene. I I really do um, like the Hans Zimmer score from Gladiator, which it kind of that kind of score kind of took on a life of its own. That's where all like the 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 like the bombs the Brams. and stuff came from yeah. yeah those those kind of drums and those kind of like uh, orchestra hits right there <clears throat> that's something where kind of the score kind of gets in front of the action a little bit in times um, I'd probably give it to Crushing Tiger again here I I do really like the the Hans Zimmer score but yeah there, there there's a there's a beauty of the the uh, Crushing Tiger score you know with with the uh, cello work by Yo-Yo Ma here, that's just just beautiful and can't touch it here. I imagine uh, it, like a Back to the Future style scene of uh... <laughs> Chris. It's your brother, Jonathan Nolan. <laughs> you know that one sound you've been looking for to put into every trailer you will make for the rest of your career? Well, listen to this. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, and with you. So uh, it also won for art direction, which is now called uh, um, uh, production, production design. design. Right. And uh, it beat out Gladiator, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Quills, and Vatel. Uh, I know nothing about the movie Vatel. Um, and as far as the production design, I mean, yeah, it's it's it's. It might not win against uh, in, in every year, but it seems like it's good enough to win this for me. Uh, I would probably need to see Gladiator again. <clears throat> yeah, the, the Coliseum is pretty <clears throat> pretty great in in Gladiator and the uh, the geography of the the kind of stage of battle and the different kinds of battles that that happen there. But uh, you know, there's a lot of interior stuff in Gladiator that's kind of you've you've seen before or you know, things on on battlefields that. You've seen before, not to denigrate Gladiator. Um, 
How the Grinch Stole Christmas is kind of sneaky good art direction. It's not a great movie, but yep. like, you know, it's got a lot of good technical stuff about it. Um, it does a pretty good job of making a, uh, you know, a, a 25 minute Dr. Seuss animated mm-hmm. thing into a fairly believable thing. That was pretty, it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's not a joke nomination, the, the, you know, How the Grinch Stole Christmas being here, but, uh. Yeah, I'd probably still give it to Gladiator, or not Gladiator, I'd probably still give it to Crouching Tiger again here. I always like that, uh, like, movies like Quills uh, just get nominated, they they so often get nominated for this and costume design, and, I mean, you made a movie set in 18th century France, so uh, as long as it looks like a movie that is set in 18th century France, I feel like you did a pretty good job. Like, I wonder if it feels really bad for the other movies set in 18th century France that do not get nominated. Like, like oh, l- looking back, did you accidentally use like a traffic light or... Uh, did somebody crack open a Coca-Cola or something in the middle of the movie? Like how they seem to always get nominated and they all, they all kind of look the same to me. And I I don't, I don't know how to separate the, the, Oh wow. You did a great job. Yeah. What's a good version of that? It's almost like, you know, a, a production company just buys a corset and like a, a, like a dress cage and all of a sudden like in the mail it's like you've been nominated for an academy award it's like we haven't even shot the movie yet it's like okay yeah just wait a second yeah you will be nominated for academy award yeah as long as nobody walks out in like a you know frankie say relax t-shirt then it's probably gonna have pretty decent costumes for the era this is another thing like you know brent and i are not historical costume experts so i'm probably uh, there's probably a lot of nuance there where you could tell good from bad but i'm kind of with you there it's hard to tell um you know that looks like a period appropriate thing sure um it won foreign language uh, best foreign language film uh beating out amoris peros divided we fall everybody's famous and the taste of others Um, i've never seen any of these other films i've never seen amoris peros or the others no i've seen uh, only other one I've seen is Amoris Peros uh, in in your Ritu movie. That's very, very in your Ritu. It's another disjointed chronology. So a real a real ray of sunshine, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like uh, you know his, his earlier movies up till Babel of like a bunch of different stories that are interconnected. Kind of uh, <clears throat> this one's set in Mexico City, and it's uh, it's very good. It's very brutal. Very uh, not nihilistic, but very pessimistic about humanity. Um, this is, this would, I understand why this was a pretty easy win. Yeah. Crouching Tiger is, it's like such a, um, a beautiful tale and Morris Peros is like, it's disturbing. Um, I, I like Crouching Tiger more than Amoris Peros. I'm going to go out of order for the, uh, the order we have listed for the rest. I want to finish on best picture, but, uh, let's, let's go to original song. It lost, uh, it was nominated for a love before time. Uh, it lost. Uh, it was also nominated against "I've Seen It All" from "Dancer in the Dark," "A Fool in Love" from "Meet the Parents," uh, "My Funny Friend and Me" from "The Emperor's New Groove," and the eventual winner, "Things Have Changed" by Bob Dylan from "Wonder Boys." So, um, is this the song that plays over the end of the movie? Is it a credit song? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, <clears throat> the that's the kind of original song that you and I both. It, have have disdain for it's jarring and i hated it if i remember correctly <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh 
Yeah. It's like the Lord of the Rings winning original song for uh, like the uh, Annie Lennox song, I yeah. think, that just plays over the credits. It's um, completely disconnected from anything that's that's happening. The entire two plus hours you've spent and then... In another time, in another place that they've done so perfectly, like a perfect job of putting us there and they've swept us away. Like, oh, I'm, I don't even feel like I'm watching a movie anymore. I feel like I'm just, I'm just experiencing this. And then this song starts uh, and it's just, it is just a whoosh back to uh, my living room. <clears throat> yeah. I've only, I've only seen a couple of these. I haven't seen Dancer in the Dark because... Um, I don't know. That I, sounds I miserable. My mental health. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't seen Emperor's New Groove. I know that's like, you know, Generation Z is that's like one of the best Disney movies to them. But I've, I'm sure I'll love it. I've never seen it before. I don't remember that song from Meet the Parents. And I've seen Meet the Parents a couple of times. I'm sure it <clears throat> plays over the credits. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I I I like the movie Wonder Boys, and I I could I I know the the relative how that song goes mm-hmm. so i'd say sure that one's pretty good yeah i'm glad robert zimmerman has a has an oscar it's right after his renaissance he he uh came out with uh um the album in 97 that got a lot of acclaim and uh he would he would release another one that got a lot of acclaim in 2001 i think uh i, I should know the names of those albums but i don't but it's fine um and so uh i'm i'm fine with him winning too yeah I'm also, kind of siding with the Academy for like five straight awards here. Uh, although I will say, I know, I mean, Bjork is in Dancer in the Dark, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure that has some resonance uh, to that movie. Even if it's a credit <laughs> song, it, it it probably is more impactful to me if it's a credit song that is sung by, a, you know, the character from the movie than... Yeah, and, and it, it, it is a musical, um, just with uh, lyrics by Lars von Trier... <laughs> As, I mean, as a, I don't know, those, those are about, I just imagine those to be brutal verses. <laughs> I don't, I don't expect Lars von Trier to be an inspiring lyricist or anything. Whose movies are better for a pick-me-up, uh, Inuritu or Vars, Lars von Trier? Oh, probably Inuritu. Inuritu, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so it was nominated for film editing. Um, and it was nominated against Wonder Boys, Gladiator, Almost Famous, which is interesting, and uh, mm-hmm. Traffic, which won. So where would you where would you go this? Because I actually think this one might have been my big pick for its its snub by the Academy. I love the editing in this movie, and mm-hmm. but then again, I don't. I I saw Traffic in the theater uh, when I was like uh, sixteen or something, and I was not. Uh, emotionally mature enough to watch traffic at that time. Um, I, I, I barely paid attention to it and uh, I thought it was going to be a whole lot cooler <laughs> than it was. Um, I think I was expecting uh, some sort of like, like drug cartel action flick. Um, mm-hmm. And so I remember being disappointed by it, but I'm sure I'd feel differently now, but uh, I love almost famous, but the editing is nothing to me in that movie really. And mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Gladiator's good, but I think I prefer the action editing here more. Yeah, um, Traffic is that movie where I've seen it. I saw it once in theater, and I own the DVD, and I have never seen it <laughs> in the 21 years since it came out. Yeah. Even though I, I've physically owned it, so pre-Netflix, I had an ability to watch it at any point in time. 
and never did. <laughs> um, it, it's easy to see why Traffic won because it's it's weaving the three stories it's, together. It's a lot of and, editing and, and yeah. storytelling. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's three different kinds of locations mm-hmm. with the you know it's the the famous they're all color coded they're all different colors. It's like the blue, yellow, and uh, oh, it's been a while since I've seen it. I forgot the third color in it. Um, I just remember that movie feeling very brown. Just yeah, in general, Mexico is is the the Mexican part is very yellow. It's like bleached yellow, like looking up in the sky. The uh, the stuff that's in DC is blue, and I forgot the third part of it. It may be red, but anyway. All that's to say, you know, I see how it could have won there. Man, that's all very um, Soderbergh too. That like yeah. color code. I mean, uh, Magic Mike is just has a is is a movie that has its own color almost. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> what's weird here is that Wonder Boys is there. That I mean, I, I kind of <laughs> like that movie, but that's like a movie lost to time a little bit. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. That's that's a weird. That's even weirder than the almost famous one. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably give it to Crouching Tiger here. Yeah. Um, just sticking up for edit, films that are edited that have uh, uh, a beautiful sweep to them, that don't have jarring cuts or some kind of trick to it. Um, I like rewarding that, um, making all that flow. And, and you make a good point about, you know, I could we reward the fight, the fight part in one category or all of them? I just say all of them. <laughs> So for the fight stuff and and how the movie flows really well, mm-hmm. I give it to Crouching Tiger again. Yeah, uh, costume design. It was nominated against Quills, of course. Who got theirs in the mail when the movie was announced? <laughs> That's uh, right. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, One Hundred and Two Dalmatians, and Gladiator. Which one? Um, yeah. Uh, actually, here I don't mind it losing. Really, I don't think the the costumes necessarily were anything that jumped out at me, but, um, no, the, the point of the costumes, there's nothing insanely ornate about them. It's not like memoirs of a geisha a couple of years from now in, in a similar region where the intricacy of the costumes is part of the, and it's part of the presentation and it's part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they kind of are, it's kind of like, a Limu buys, um, his his monk ensemble is is kind of designed for movement, mm-hmm. and it's kind of functional rather than being super showy or anything. Um, haven't seen Quills. Uh, I think I saw 102 Dalmatians, maybe part of it at some point. If it was 101 Dalmatians, you know, it might actually have a shot because it's actually pretty well well done to make that crazy cartoon real with those insane costumes. Um, how the Grinch Stole Christmas is uh, um, kind of disturbing how it looks. <laughs> I guess that's what they're going for. Um, the The makeup in that movie is, is is really good. I don't know the difference of makeup or, or costumes. Well, I do. You know, one's in the face and, <laughs> and stuff, and one one something you wear. Um, yeah, I don't mind the Gladiator win here. Uh, you know, I hate going going more chalk here but hey. it, it's pretty instantly iconic the uh you know the maximus look and the how all the different uh the gladiators look you know people from different regions and 
sometimes the uh, Academy gets it largely right. That normally just happens in years where they give everything to Bong Joon Ho films, but it's uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it does happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 fine with Gladiator winning that. Uh, it was nominated for adapted screenplay, which uh, I think is is. Uh, interesting. It's it's not necessarily super rare, I guess, for a, a foreign language film to be nominated for screenplay, but it is, I think, notable when it happens. Uh, mm-hmm. It's nominated against Chocolat, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Wonder Boys, and Traffic, which one? Um, mm-hmm. uh, how do you feel about the screenplays here? What, what would get your vote? It probably is not Crouching Tire for me. The like we've talked about, I don't think the screenplay is the the number one thing. Nor I, nor do I really think it is the focus of the filmmaker. No. He's really married to it or holding that up that much. So taking that out of it, um, I'm taking Chocolat out of it. It's a perfectly enjoyable film, but it's kind of it's kind of whatever. So it's between the three of Traffic, Oh Brother, and Wonder Boys. Um, Wonder Boys I I like, but it's. Uh, I, I really I don't, I'm a big Michael Shabon fan, so all of his books I just like anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much just the Michael Shabon book. There's there's not much else to it. Um, the things that you would you would reward there are you know things that are already in the book. I know that's kind of the point of an adapted yeah. adaptation, but um, I either have too much knowledge there of everything I liked I liked because I read the book or or whatnot. Um, I might go weird here and say I would have given it to Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Well, that would have gotten my vote, but I have, uh, I mean, I, I really don't remember enough about Traffic to to, to gauge it, and then Chocolat and Wonder Boys I have not seen, so it comes down to Crouching Tiger versus Oh Brother. And Oh Brother isn't my favorite Coen Brothers script, and it's it's maybe not overwhelming. It's not exactly even a screenplay that feels like a winner most years, but here it probably gets my vote at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I just love that Oh Brother Where Art Thou it's adapted from The Odyssey yeah. <laughs> I, I remember in, in high school I wrote a research paper on you know there was a compare and contrast that you had to do some people did cats and dogs some people did like uh, I don't know the, the White Sox and the Cubs Yeah. and then I chose to do it on uh, The Odyssey which I love <laughs> I, I have a copy of The Odyssey that I've, I've read a couple times and you know I also love this movie I love the how they adapt that into this setting is is I think really uh, fun. Yeah, um, making the gods and goddesses like the cult figures of the time, like Babyface Nelson and uh, Robert Johnson. That's like your gods and goddesses kind of influencing the action. I just I thought that was really cool and how how they make a cyclops happen in that. Um, so that that gets my vote. It, it's a it's a movie that I think I'm probably higher on than most. Um, in the Cohen's ranking for me, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I kind of just love it. Well, that gets us to the big two: director and best picture. So, director Ang Lee was nominated against uh, Stephen Daldry in uh, what seems like a kind of a surprising nomination for Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot, uh, Ridley Ballot. Ridley Scott for Gladiator, uh, Steven Soderbergh for Aaron Brockovich, but unfortunately, Steven Soderbergh lost. To Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that a director was double nominated and still managed to come out with this win, even without having the best picture, like a slam dunk best picture under his belt. Because I feel like there would be some vote splitting in there. But um, 
Soderbergh won for traffic. Uh, I'm kind of, I, I mean, I haven't seen Billy Elliot. I, I actually have never seen Aaron Brockovich, but I'm kind of surprised both got director nominations. Um, uh, Stephen Daldry is the kind of director that sneaky gets in more than you think. Mm-hmm. Like when in 2008, like for the reader, like Stephen Daldry was nominated for best director, like the year that uh, Nolan did the the Dark Knight and a bunch of people did some some really influential movies. He's, he just kind of has, he just knows how to play the Academy's chords sometimes. He also did like, like the hours in 2002. He, he was nominated for that. Um, so it's a, uh, it's interesting. He's here. He, he kind of gets here more than you'd think. I think the Aaron Brockovich thing is like, it was such a, like a fourth place thing for people that I think it, it didn't director, like it didn't split the vote as much there. Yeah. Um, um I would vote for Ang Lee here. Um, I know he's won two other uh, Best Director Oscars, uh, both of them later. Um, but this is probably my favorite directorial effort from Ang Lee. This is really impressive what he did. And this is where I really award the choreography the most, I think. Mm-hmm. It still is interesting that really Scott still doesn't have a Best Director Oscar. Um He's had a lot of a lot of at bats there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I love that Soderbergh has an Oscar, but I'd probably I would uh, I don't know. I do too, and I really even though I don't always love his movies, I love him because he is just a mm-hmm. uh, he's just gonna do what he wants, and he's always gonna try to do something interesting, whether he succeeds or fails. So I'm I really am happy he has an Oscar. Um, yeah, he's he's a true iconoclast, and I, I'm just glad that people like him have Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was probably swept up in the in the you know it's a gritty take on drugs are bad, <laughs> like that. That's why it was so you know so, so had such weight to it. But of, of course, drugs are bad, and of course, there's a gritty reality to it. I think prior to that, if I watched it again, it would probably be a little exploitative, maybe a little a little icky, or a little like of course, like a little on the nose, not to make a pun there about drugs and stuff, but um, yeah, angling for me here. Uh, best picture. Your choices are Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Shakala, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, or the winner, Gladiator. Mm-hmm. So we're both going Shakala, so what's number two? That's the real question. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I mean, I think I'm going Crouching Tiger, but a rewatch of Gladiator might might change my mind, but I don't know. I I think Crouching Tiger is is um bigger for me. Yeah, in a lot of these categories, we have the same movies going up against each other, especially mm-hmm. the, the triumvirate of Gladiator. Air, Gla- I was about to say Aaron Brock. Gladiator, Crouching Tiger, and Traffic yeah. are kind of up against each other in most of these categories. Um, again, I think Gladiator is probably. At this point, you know, the, the backlash to the backlash and the a winner is always going to kind of have that vibe that, uh, you know, it won against other stuff or it won, is it really that great? Or it won, what does that mean? So uh, I, I wouldn't mind rewatching that, but uh, not, to, uh, not to be boring, but I'm going to agree with you, Crouching Tiger. It's, you know, it's, it's my... The thing is, my number two movie of the two thousands in in my list I did last year, and it's my uh, it's my number two movie of two thousand. Um, um, both I, of my top two were from the year two thousand, and well, I have Gladiator in like in the in the teens or something from 
the year 2000. So, so wait, did you say? I'm sorry, I was I was actually looking at 2000 movies. Did you did you say Crouching Tiger is your is would would it have been your best picture nominee or I'm sorry, your best picture pick even if the nominees had been more ideal? Like, it, would it, is it your best movie of 2000? No, it's my number two movie of 2000. But my one and two of the 2000s were both from the year 2000. Okay. Oh, man. What is... Uh, I mean, I'm going to guess it's In the Mood for Love. That's it. I love that movie. <laughs> I was just I, I was just going to say, like, uh, what would have been, I think, a more satisfying set of nominees would be... Um, I've never seen Yee Yee, but mm-hmm. that movie is beloved... Um, also a dog's will is, uh, I think it's a Mexican movie from uh, 2000 that is also, uh, really beloved. It's a 4.5 on letterboxd. Wow. Um, then you've got, uh, you've got in the mood for love. You've got memento was an incredible movie for that year. Um, and also if, if drugs are bad, how about requiem for a dream? (laughs) Yeah, Memento's weird because it had it had a weird rollout where it was like it was in two thousand, but it was in the two thousand one Oscars, like going up against oh. Fellowship of the Rings and A Beautiful Mind. So that's where it gets nominated for screenplay and editing the gotcha. next year. Um. So yeah, Ooh. yeah, we could have yeah. I don't I don't think this is a perfect group. Um, it maybe has one or two. Probably maybe just one of what I consider the top five, but you know I'm never going to get my top five as the top five there. Well, uh, it's. <clears throat> do you think that the Oscars uh, sh- whiffed on uh, deserved nominations for Crouching Tiger in any other categories? Um, because I actually have two nominees that I thought of, and I think I could make a strong case for Michelle Yeoh and Zhang Zi. Those those are the two. Um, that that I would say, I think Chow Yun Fat is is good as kind of a a symbol, mm-hmm. and he's kind of symbol of uh, there, there there's uh, I don't know. It's hard to be flashy and be restrained, and he's kind of on the uh, the more stoic part of restrained. But Michelle Yeoh, I think is is so underrated in this movie that it's not like more of a not an all timer, but more considered. I know the BAFTAs. Which uh, are kind of wonky sometimes, but the the BAFTAs both had Zhang Ziyi and uh, Michelle Yeoh as acting nominees, and I, I I would have loved to see that. I, I know how the Oscars typically would do this, and I know how the the nominations would probably go with Michelle Yeoh uh, contending for best actress and Zhang Zhang Ziyi as uh, supporting actress. But I would actually reverse them. I feel like mm-hmm. Zhang Ziyi is the lead, if they're or or they're both leads. They're the co leads, maybe. Um, and I think that uh, I'm, I, I would imagine, thanks to the desert interlude, that uh, Zhang Zi has more screen time than either of her co-stars. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but it wouldn't surprise me. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking at the best actress and best supporting actress lists. I mean, I love Almost Famous. I do. But Frances McDormand has like like five minutes maybe in that movie or so. Uh, if you, if you add up all her scenes and, uh, Kate Hudson is a lead. She shouldn't even be nominated as supporting actress. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, I I definitely would prefer, uh, either of these stars there, but yeah, I'm, 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 those were the two that I had. Yeah. 
It's it's and there's there's really rough track record for foreign language performances getting nominated. I mean, we saw it um, in 2019 for Parasite. You know, it's like an all-time movie, and it it uh, nearly swept the awards it was nominated for. It couldn't get a single acting award. I know that was a that was a great ensemble, but we should have had someone nominated in Parasite. Hey, 2020 Just, win though. Yeah, we had a win sure. a win this year. Um. Uh. So. Uh, shifting over to director Ang Lee, that he has a f- really fascinating career. <laughs> um, just looking yeah. through his movies. So first off, how many of his films have you seen, and uh, what is your favorite? Um, so just running through, he in nineteen ninety two he did Pushing Hands, nineteen ninety three The Wedding Banquet, nineteen ninety four Eat Drink Man Woman, nineteen ninety five Sense and Sensibility, nineteen ninety The Ice Storm. Follow that up with Ride with the Devil in 1999, then Crouching Tiger in 2000. Uh, three years later, he came out with Hulk. Uh, 2005 was Brokeback Mountain. Two years later, Lust Caution. 2009 was Taking Woodstock. Then three years later, The Life of Pi. 2016, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. And 2019's Gemini Man. Yeah. Of these, I've seen eight of them. Wow, that's um, a, that's impressive. It's pretty good. Yeah, I was trying to get more in before uh, for the podcast. There was a couple of his movies that were on Prime in uh, in uh, I believe in April mm-hmm. that I missed when they left in May. Like his earlier movies, I would have loved to have seen. Yeah. Like Eat Drink Man Woman is is very highly regarded. I wish I could have seen it. Um. Yeah, I consider myself a, a, a decent fan of his, seeing, seeing a good bit of these. I, I stepped off at Life of Pi. I haven't seen his last two movies. Uh, they didn't really interest me at all. He's, he's, uh, he's a really int- He has a really interesting career that he's... Um, like, something like Sense and Sensibility is such an interesting move. Like, the Jane Austen time period. Mm-hmm. Um adapting that i hope that's the right author yeah <laughs> okay um and uh you know having a martial arts me- epic a superhero movie uh a comedy set at woodstock um there's a lot of like a bestseller like life of pi he seems to be at a certain point really interested in form of, of seeing what he can do with film that's like what uh life of pi that he's doing in Billy Lynn's halftime walk is he was experimenting with uh, you know IMAX screens and a, a different um, oh I'm forgetting the term now like a, a is it a shutter rate or like some kind of a resolution or something that uh, was the first time doing it and Gemini Man is is uh, oh right like visual effects yeah frames per second that sort of thing yeah yeah. That uh, it kind of looks unnatural until you're used to it, and he's he's trying to uh, be at the foreground of it. But his earlier career is something. There's there's a lot of those that I that I really love. Um, I caught up with Sense and Sensibility in in uh, in April, and that's that's a that's an amazing movie. Um, I've never seen it. Regrettably, I've seen five of his movies, uh, like five and a half. So I've seen. I've seen part of the ice storm and I really liked what I saw and I really wanted to go back and, and watch that at some point. I just never have gotten around to it, but I've seen crouching tiger. I've seen Hulk. 
well, what I didn't sleep through of Hulk. Um, <laughs> I've seen Brokeback Mountain and Life of Pi. So, of those, Crouching Tiger is my favorite. Uh, it certainly would not be Hulk. It's uh, I like Brokeback Mountain a good bit, but I don't. Um, I didn't love it. I kind of feel the same way about Life of Pi, which is uh, enjoyed the experience of watching it, but when I was done, it didn't really stick with me as much as I thought it might. Um, of his movies though, that I have not seen, I think the one I'm, I'm most interested in watching is Lust Caution. Um, that has that's um, I, I recently saw it mentioned in a video that I was, I was watching, and it seems very interesting to me as a, as a yeah. spy movie. I don't know what if it's kind of coming back in estimation or if it's just letterboxed hive mind that, that we're all kind of talking the same thing and, and influencing each other. But that's kind of coming back. I, I saw that movie back in the day. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that's really underrated. And I don't know why I didn't, never really found an audience. Um, very, very sensual spy movie. Um Using using sexuality as as part of your you know part of your espionage. Um, that one's pretty good. Um, I I love Brokeback Mountain. I it, it's it's a heartbreaking and just yeah. gorgeous movie. Um, Life of Pi I saw in theaters, which is the best way to see it. And I don't think I'd really be interested in watching it again on you know a, a stream or something. Mm-hmm. Um, astonishing visuals there. Yeah. it's probably. Crouching Tiger and Brokeback Mountain and Sense and Sensibility up there with me. Sense and Sensibility, Sense and Sensibility is really great, and it made me just fall in love all over again with Emma Thompson, who is just just a queen. Um, but uh, man, putting it there's a lot of my favorite children here. Um, I'd, I'd probably put Crouching Tiger number one. Wow, well, I'm being boring. Being boring by I guess agreeing with you, but not it's certainly not a boring movie at all. Or right. a boring choice. Um So uh yeah, where would you guess Ang Lee ranks in the pantheon of, of uh directors? Which by the way, I've I, I keep adding new directors to this list. Uh this is uh still not done. It's a never finished product, but uh <laughs> um I don't think I'm adding too many ahead of Ang Lee. I think most of those are covered, but <laughs> yeah um all right so i'm, it'd be, I'm trying to it'd really reorient. be something if i was like oh man i forgot spike lee or something <laughs> oops <clears throat> so i feel like with the quiet man the last podcast we did i was starting to to see the the ones and zeros of the matrix but i've kind of like i've lost my connection to it it's been two months yeah past two months but i know he's got some stinkers here but he's got a good body of work he's got 10 plus mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say like 175. It's not bad. I mean, this is a huge list. So you are off by only 50 spots. He's number 125. Ah. Um, he is uh, near such icons as Clint Eastwood, uh, Taika Waititi, uh, hmm, Pete, really? Pete Doctor, hmm. um, uh, Michael Apted, who did the the Seven Up series. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, Thomas Vinterberg. There's a there's a name I've I've seen recently. Yeah, I mean his his highs are like super high. Mm-hmm. Some some all time movies like three point nines and fours. There's a lot of his that I would consider five star movies, but I mean there's there's some there's certainly some stink here. There you could 
he may be hurt by like I think there's some pushback on his most famous maybe best movies. I think you have probably a lot of people who not even for homophobic reasons, but push back on Brokeback Mountain and push back on Crouching Tiger just because those movies were just kind of crammed down everybody's throats for a while. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the best movie of the year. The best movie, the best movie, the best movie that I think a lot of people might watch these with arms crossed and uh, like, all right, show me what you got, flying sword movie. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I think maybe it he's hurt a little bit by that because his his max rating is a four um but he he very consistently set in that like 3.8 to 4 range for like 10 years which is really impressive mm-hmm. um but yeah he's uh he's a top top 200 director um by my metrics so uh that's it's it's a pretty impressive career um yeah i'm only six movies away from watching everything he's done you know, with some streaming luck, I'd like to, especially his early stuff, you know, I wish one of us would have seen some of those earlier ones, but they're, they're a little tough to, to get a hold of. I, I wouldn't, I don't mind watching terrible movies. So like, I wouldn't mind watching Hulk and, and I think that would be an interesting experience, but uh, I got no interest in Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. That just, that just yeah. seems like, I remember Gold Derby having that as a, a real contender like four months before anyone had seen it. Yeah. Like, uh, like Steve Martin playing Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys owner, like the best supporting actor like, that never happened. And that's <laughs> such a weird thought. It's really weird. Um, okay. So wrapping up uh, quickly, the, uh, what do you think the, the legacy of crouching tiger is actually this, before we get to that, I just really quickly want to ask, uh, how much do you think the Matrix helped this movie with its uh, American success? I think I think a lot. Yeah, I think um, the the wire work of the Matrix was definitely indebted to the cultural history of, of uh, the the Wuxi movies. I think it was a stepping stone to um, recontextualizing martial arts mm-hmm. as something that could be serious and that you could have a really successful movie around. Mm-hmm. So I think it it helped it. Uh, you know, quite a bit. You know, it it builds on that legacy a little bit. I'm sure that there were kind of some. You know, Crouching Tiger was in production. You know, sure. not after Matrix. You know, was already beloved. I don't think because they're so bang bang. Ninety nine and then two thousand. But uh, for an audience perspective, I think that's a great point that uh, kind of builds on that legacy. And the legacy of Crouching Tiger for a lot of people is the flying movie. But it's also it. It's also probably a lot of people's first foreign language movie, if you think about yeah. it. It could be an entrance into that or an entrance into um, other um, other martial arts movies. And uh, it was also kind of a... I think it was uh, opening of, of people to Chinese cinema. Like, after this, you have Hero, House of Flying Daggers... Um, you know, American uh, American director doing Memoirs of a Geisha, but especially the uh, um, the hero and House of Flying Daggers type action, and uh, set in a similar historical time period, and also being I know Hero was a box office success. I mean, I saw that in the theaters and it was a big deal. You don't have that that success here. You know, would have had that success in China. You wouldn't have had that here, I don't think, without Crouching Tiger. Yeah. 
And then, uh, did you ever see the sequel to Crouching Tiger? I never did. And uh, Sword of Destiny. It, I remember it coming out, and I just didn't really have much of an interest in watching it. To me, Crouching Tiger is pretty. I know it's the it's based on the fourth book in a series, but it it's pretty contained. Yeah, and it's pretty final to me. I didn't really want to see what else happened with the sword or what else happened with the characters. I think everything's kind of there and it's, it was kind of done for me. All right. Um, how, how was this? How would you connect crouching tiger to the quiet man? Our previous film. <laughs> I had uh, I had two notes. One, one that I think is the best one is uh, fighting in a bar. Great bar fights in both movies. Yeah. Great bar fights. Um, the quiet man is, is rolling all through the, the countryside where Crouching Tiger has the confidence just to have a fight in a bar, and that's where it starts and ends. Yep. So uh, that brings us to our uh, next movie on the list, which I have randomly chosen. Uh, I've been dying to know this for months, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a 1982 film mm. that was nominated for two competitive Oscars. Best costume design and best sound. And uh, it received an Academy Award for technical achievement 14 years later. 14 years later? Um, is this like uh, Quest for Fire? Or that might be 84. I was thinking of, I know that was, that was a makeup win. This movie uh, did spawn a 2010 sequel. Um, starring Garrett Hedlund. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, we're talking Tron. Tron is going to be the next <laughs> film that we watch. Um, I think I've seen this. I don't even know if I've seen this movie. I've seen one of the two Tron movies, and I honestly don't know which one. I I I'll be honest. I saw Tron Legacy for the Daft Punk score. I had the soundtrack before I ever saw the movie, and I thought, well, I might as well see the movie. It's got Olivia Wilde and stuff in it. Yeah, um, I've I've never seen Tron. I know it's a foundational movie for some stuff. It's it's uh, um, the visual effects. I think were probably super ahead of, ahead of its time. It wasn't Maybe? nominated. We'll find out. <laughs> this, I mean, who knows? This might be like one of the greatest snubs in Oscar history. I. I it's enough for Wikipedia to actually mention that Tron was not nominated in the best visual effects category. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's weird to go out of your way. Yeah, I, I usually that. I usually read you the uh, the tagline, but a world inside the computer where man has never been until now is kind of uh, kind of gives kind, it away. kind of obvious there. Yeah. So, all right. So Tron is streaming on Disney Plus. All right, and it has a letterbox average score of three point two, making this one of the. Uh, it, this might be the worst movie by letterbox score that we've watched so far. Hmm. Um, well, if it's bad, uh, I promise our podcast will be funny. We'll point out all of the weird, funny stuff in it. So yeah, enjoy Tron, and uh, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, David. Is there anything else people should do? Uh, oh my gosh, I totally forgot what we say now. It's it's been so long. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Things you can do is to subscribe to it and uh, give us uh, in your podcasting app of choice full ratings, five stars or whatever, write a review. We'd really appreciate it. That really helps boost us. Um, 
We're, we're hosted on uh, the Media By Us. You can visit the page, um, themediabyus.com. We have a Gmail, the, the Media By Us at gmail.com. We have a Twitter, at the Media By Us. We have, uh, theoretically, have Facebook groups, Movies By Us. And, I think uh, those are about to die. <laughs> TV By Us. Yeah, I just got a thing that Facebook is like updating how they're doing groups and... That may be the end of the end of that. We're just but, we're just getting I mean, really we're just getting like bots that are trying to join now, so it's fine. Nobody <laughs> posts on there. I mean, really, we're you know being on Facebook isn't even cool anymore, so we're we're ahead of the curve. Yeah, well, coming soon to TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that, not Parlor. <laughs> God, <laughs> uh, I don't even know if that's a thing. I don't even want to. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> I'll bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah uh, but the main thing is thanks for listening and uh, telling your friends about this is uh, the the best way to grow our podcast from the fours of listeners to the fives of listeners that we would would love to have yeah and uh, shout out to all the effectively cinephiled folks who are listening because you're pretty much everyone that's listening love you yeah and love your guys podcast too yeah All right. till next time thank you David bye bye